Well, we are going to continue our journey through the Old Testament book of Jonah. Um, we've been in this for about three months now. We have just two weeks left today and next week, and then we'll be on to our next series. So we've worked through three of four chapters thus far in Jonah. We've learned about Nineveh. Okay, Nineveh was a city that Jonah was sent to. Nineveh was a brutal people. Okay, what they were known for was the way in which they wickedly, horrendously, brutally treated other nations. They tried to instill fear in other people and enemies by their horrendous treatment. We've learned about Jonah, who was this man who God went to and he called him to go to Nineveh to preach to them, to warn them of their evil, wicked ways. We found him to be a proud prophet who rebelled against God, ran the opposite way than from which God told him to go, but he was miraculously saved by God. And we've seen also the unmatched kindness of God throughout this story as he's pursued relentlessly both Jonah and Nineveh. We found him recently relenting from his wrath and his anger against Nineveh, which they deserved. He did not pour out judgment on them, nor did he pour out judgment upon Jonah as he rebelled against God. So, there are times when we read the Bible that I think it's really good to just stop and to point out how the Bible speaks to its own reliability. And I want to do that right here as we jump into chapter 4 of Jonah. Think about this reality. There would be a lot of sense in the story ending here at chapter 3. Okay? If we're looking for a feel-good ending to the story, the book of Jonah, if we want everyone to reflect well, we, we could stop right here because we look at god he he looks completely gracious okay towards jonah towards nineveh we look at nineveh and man they've really turned a corner they they were this wicked nation and and they repented they turned from their wicked ways jonah himself made amends and though he initially disobeyed god he finally did go to nineveh and he preached to them in the way that god asked him to if we ended right here, the, the story could have a bit of a and they all lived happily ever after kind of an ending. But that's not what we get. This book is about to venture into some ter territory that's going to f reflect very poorly on Jonah. And, and ultimately, we can say, on the whole of God's people. So Jonah being a messenger of God, he's also a picture of the whole of Israel. And, and so... I think it's good for us to stop and ask ourselves, why? Why would the author include this? If this author is an Israelite and wants Israel to look really good, if God is the ultimate author, why would he, why would any author want to include this last part that's going to go south really quickly? And the reason is, the, the only reason is, is because this is what happened. This is true. It, it's not going to reflect well on God, for one, because, I, I mean, it will on God in the sense that he's very gracious. 
Okay? It's not going to reflect well on Jonah as he's going to rebel against God all the more. And, and so this is one of those times in the Bible where we, as we're reading along, we should stop and say, man, this speaks to the reliability of the Bible. The fact that this story is going to continue and go into territory that's going to not reflect well on others. And in this, also to see ourselves. Ultimately, God's given us a revelation of himself. He's told us his story so that we can see ourselves in this story, to see how we, like Jonah, are in dire need of God himself. So God held back his judgment against Nineveh. And today we get to read of Jonah's response to God's grace. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or device you want to turn or swipe there, you can also follow along on the screen behind me as I read these verses. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? All right. So when... This is the part of the story, I think, like when you go to children's Bibles. It's like this is not the part that you, you usually get in a children's Bible. Most of us know the story of Jonah. Oh, he, he rebelled, he disobeyed God, and then God, like he ran away and God pursues him. He ends up in the belly of the fish and there's this miracle and we find Jonah praying in the belly of the fish, right? And, and then he's miraculously rescued and then the story ends. It's like, it's like that's it. No, that's not it. It, it goes really bad here in chapter 4. So let's work through Jonah's offense here. Jonah is angry. Okay? He is angry. God's kindness towards Nineveh displeased Jonah exceedingly. Another way that this could be translated, this phrase, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, is it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. What God did was exceedingly evil. God's grace that he showed towards Nineveh was exceedingly evil. So I, I think it's interesting that we get this picture of Jonah. For one, part of the reason he was scared to go to Nineveh in the first place was because of their brutality, right? Like him going there is almost a guaranteed death. He's a hated enemy and he's going to go and deliver a message that they're going to hate, right? But now he's walked out. He's, he's left the city there's no semblance of thankfulness on his part at all, right? Like, that's a miracle that he walked out of the city after delivering the message that he delivered. No thankfulness that he made it out of Nineveh alive. There's also this reality that he could be thinking pridefully, really arrogantly, man, I just went and I preached this message super short, and man, my words must have had so much weight. Like, the whole city turned from their sin. Like, he... He is so blinded in his anger that, that even aspects of pride like, don't even pop up in those ways. And, and so then what we find him doing is he goes right to God. It says he prayed to the Lord. 
But as I read that, it actually seems more like he prayed at the Lord, right? It's not, he's not really praying to God. He's praying at God in the way that he's approaching him. He says, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Jonah knew all along. He knew of God's kindness and of his goodness. And that's why he refused God's re request in the first place. It's almost as though he knew it so well, he knew that God would be kind to Nineveh. And he knew it so well that if he rebelled, if he disobeyed God, he believed that he would still receive that kindness, that goodness from God. He presumed upon God's grace. We talked about this earlier in this series. As Jonah was defiantly sailing on, the, sailing on the sea away from Nineveh, running away from God and where God told him to go, he told the sailors that were trying to figure out, why are we in this storm? He told those sailors that he worshipped the God who made the sea. He's taunting them, like, the God who's controlling this, that's the God that I worship. But what we found at that time is that he's basically just using God to get what he wants, right? This God who made the sea, he's running away from that God, and so he's trying to use God's stuff to get what he wants. He wanted to use the sea to serve himself. Now we find Jonah wanting to be the one who determines who does and who does not receive grace from God. Jonah wants to be God. He wants to be God, and that's why he is so angry. He wants to be God, but Jonah is not a good God. Like any of us, we cannot be good gods. Jonah cannot accomplish or control all that he desires, and so he is frustrated, angry. And Jonah's madness deepens as we get further into this. Listen to this. What is exceedingly evil to Jonah is this. This is what he says to God. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Okay, so first of all, this description, this is who God is. He's a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. That's who God is. Just reading the description of God, like, like if there's no other context, you just read that. What's offensive about that? Nothing, right? There's nothing offensive about that description of God. It, even an atheist, right? If an atheist would read this description of God, they would say, if there were a God, I would want that God to fall within this construct, to be described like that. So I think we, it pushes us. When we read these descriptions of who God is, it pushes us to ask, is that your experience of God? That description right there, is that how you interact with God? Or does he look different for you? How has God been gracious to you? Or, or what are the ways in which you doubt that he is gracious towards you? How is he slow to anger towards you? 
how has he relented from disaster? And we even talked last week, how is he relenting from disaster right now? Because the reality is every single one of us in some way was sinning this morning, right? And so God is relenting from disaster even now for us. Understanding God as he reveals himself is of utmost importance. We have to see God as he reveals himself in his word. And, and Jonah fails at this. He doesn't see God for who he is or he doesn't want to see God for who he really is. And his self-interest is blinding for him. So this verse that Jonah is quoting, okay, describing God, so this is, he's actually quoting a verse from earlier in the Bible. And it's from uh, the book of Exodus. Exodus 32, or the story is Exodus 32 to 34. You guys don't need to turn there, but I'm just going to give kind of a quick synopsis of where this verse comes from and how Jonah is displaying his blindness. So in Exodus 32, we get the story of God's delivered his people out of slavery. Okay, they come to a mountain and the leader of Israel at that, t at that time, his name is Moses. And Moses goes up this mountain, and he's going to meet with God. And God's going to give him some commands by which he wants his people to live. He's saying, if you follow these commands, you will be blessed. If you disobey these commands, you will be cursed. But this is the way in which God is going to relate with his people. So Moses goes up there, and he's up there quite a long time. Okay? The people down on the ground, they get really impatient. Okay? So they're like, we don't know what happened to this Moses dude, so why won't we, or why shouldn't we just fashion a golden cow? Let, let's make ourselves a god that we can worship. It's a brilliant idea, right? Like, I'm sure that's what all you would do as well. Like, God's not here, let's, let's like fashion a golden calf. It's a ridiculous picture, is what it is. So they fashion this golden calf, and then God's meeting with Moses, and, and he's like, Moses, you need to get down there. Like, things have gone south really quickly. And so Moses goes down there, and, and he's going to deal with this. But, but with everything that transpired there, God could have annihilated his people. He could have annihilated them. But you know what didn't happen there in that story? Israel did not repent. They did not repent. Moses prayed on their behalf that God would, would be merciful to them. But Israel did not repent. So Jonah's referencing this story. One, where Israel looks really bad. Okay? And they didn't repent. And he's saying it in correlation to a story with Nineveh who repented. Okay? So you've got things going just backwards here in terms of the correlation between a non-Israelite or Gentile and how Israel uh, handled this situation. And in this story, back in Exodus 32 to 34, there's this description given of God. Okay? Now, so it's, it's interesting just at first blush that Jonah is referencing that story because it, it's just a weird story for him to reference uh, in terms of quoting this picture of God. But then furthermore... There's part of the picture of God that Jonah completely leaves out. So if you go back to Exodus 34, it, it talks about God being gracious 
and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. But it also says about God there this, who will by no means clear the guilty. And so there's this reality. God is going to be just. He is going to deal rightly with that which is wrong. That is who he is. But you notice, Jonah leaves that part out here because he thinks he knows what needs to happen with Nineveh. He thinks he knows they need to be destroyed. And so here we get oppressed for ourselves as well. I said this is who God is, right? But this is who God is to all people. To all people. Like Jonah, none of us have an issue with God being gracious and merciful and loving towards us, right? But as was the case with Jonah, there are times when we wish God would not act this way towards other people. We have people who anger us, who frustrate us, who annoy us. We have enemies. So, like when someone drive is driving on the road in a way that's outside of the rules that you've constructed in your head or the state has constructed, like, you want justice for that person, right? Now, I enjoy sports, okay? One thing I don't enjoy about sports is when people uh, participate in whatever excessive celebration is in my head, okay? Like, because I feel like a lot of times the excessive celebration is basically people are celebrating, celebrating themselves doing their job. Like, it, it's, that's just what you're getting paid to do, right? Like, that's, that's nothing special at all. And so there are, there are plenty of times when I'm watching a game and I would love to see somebody who's celebrating in a certain way uh, just like smash their face into the floor or the field. Like I would, yeah, okay, like picture into Kevin's heart, right? Like I would desire that at times. If a mass murderer or a serial rapist gets life in prison, and while they are spending their life in prison, they end up seeing the evil they've committed. And they confess their sin, and they trust in Jesus. Some of us, maybe many of us, would really struggle with that reality. We would say that is not fair. We don't like it. God is gracious towards people that we don't think deserve it. God is gracious towards people that we don't think deserve it. But if that's the way we think, we've moved on from grace. We're no longer in the realm of grace because the essence of grace is it's undeserved. Grace is never earned. There's never anything that we can do to deserve grace. We feel the way we do because we think we're better than someone else. I, I want someone to drive their face into the ground because I think I'm better than that person, and I wouldn't do that. Jonah felt superior to Nineveh. They were brutes who did not deserve God's kindness. And so what Jonah did is he separated himself from them. He looked down on them. Jonah had no idea how wicked his own heart was. And so then, notice the progression that happens in Jonah's heart and mind. 
Jonah hated the Ninevites, right? He hated them. He felt superior to them. But the reality is, God treats Nineveh and Jonah the very same way, okay? And th this is part of the reason that Jonah is angry. But, but here's what happened in this, okay? The indiscriminate goodness of God revealed the indiscriminate evil in Jonah. The indiscriminate goodness of God revealed the indiscriminate evil in Jonah. Jonah hated God. Jonah hated God. I if we don't allow room for God to be who he is, we will ultimately end up hating him. Our hatred of other people is a step towards hating God. That's where it will end up. We will end up hating God because we will see him as unjust, not giving to us the justice that we think we or someone else deserve. So who do you hate? Who really annoys you? Who do you feel better than? And why do you feel better than that person? Is the thing that you are angered by something that God has already offered forgiveness to you for? Maybe it looks a little differently for you. Is it possible that while you are hating someone else, God is relenting from disaster towards you? It's very possible. I want to jump to the New Testament here. So Jesus, as he called his disciples, he went to a tax collector named Levi. The story is recorded in Luke chapter 5. So Jesus says, Levi, come and follow me. And Levi follows Jesus. And what he does immediately is he makes this great feast for Jesus. And he invites a bunch, a bunch of his crooked tax collector buddies. So tax collectors were, were kind of dirty guys in that day. N no one liked them. They were cheap. They stole money from people. They were hated by many. So here we find Jesus joining a bunch of these dishonest cronies and, and eating with them. The religious leaders at that time, they see what's going on. They see Jesus meeting with his people, eating with them, and so they, crum they grumbled against Jesus, and they, they asked him, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' reply to them was this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Someone who is righteous who thinks they are righteous, like Jonah, doesn't see their need for being saved. Those who are sick, those who are sinners, and understand that is who they are, they see their need for help. Whenever we are angered by others, we should stop and honestly consider how we do the same thing to other people. Whenever we feel better than another, we should stop and consider how our prideful arrogance spoils any perceived superiority and proves our need for help. So when I'm judging people for their excessive celebration and, and I'm wanting them to fail in some way, 
my prideful arrogance in that moment is, is showing that I'm in the exact same spot as they are. It just looks really different. As Jonah should have looked at Nineveh and said, that is me. I need to be saved in the same way. I deserve salvation no more than they do. So should we think similarly as we encounter people and situations in our own life that provoke us to foolishly act like Jonah did. What we see in Jonah is a man whose sin runs very deep. It's like peeling layers of an onion. We see his rebellion against God in chapter 1. We see his disregard for the sailors. We see his prideful proclamation of his God to the sailors. We see his lack of fear of God and his presumption of grace. We see his arrogant prayer to God. We see his wrath-filled sermon towards Nineveh. His resentment regarding God's relenting. We see his racism and his nationalism. We see his hatred for others. And all of this is happening within the context of him knowing who God is. That he is gracious. That he is slow to anger. That he is relenting from disaster. He knows this because this is how God has been to him. And we keep unraveling deeper layers of Jonah's sin until ultimately what we learn from the Bible is that sin leads to death, right? Sin leads to death. And so it's not surprising then that as he's placed hope in realities that can't truly give him life, he now sees his best option is death. Jonah's life is a death mark display of art. His life is a death-marked display of art. So if we go back to chapter 2, when Jonah is praying in the belly of the fish, he, he taunted his enemies in the prayer that he, as he prayed to God. He said there, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So he, he's looking at the people of Nineveh. And he's saying, they worship vain idols. They don't worship the one true God. And in doing that, they're forsaking their hope of steadfast love. Interestingly, ironically, now we find Jonah, a man who has forsaken God's love. He's pushed it away. And in so doing, he has lost all semblance of hope. He would rather die. And so we notice this distinction between Jonah and Jesus. I've mentioned a number of times throughout this series how Jesus made this direct connection between himself and Jonah. He said, something greater than Jonah is here, referring to himself. So when we look at Jonah, Jonah is helping us see our need for Jesus, helping us to see the reality we need a Savior. Jonah hopelessly seeks death to escape his personal misery. He's got no other place to turn. He just says, I want to die. Contrast that with Jesus. Jesus also seeks death. But he does it so that all of humanity can be sustained in their misery. In a misery that's similar to Jonah's misery. 
and not just be sustained in their misery, but so that we can also see good come out of our misery. Because God promises to take bad things and turn them for our good. But not just that, but ultimately to escape misery and death itself, to completely escape it, to overcome it. Jesus dies so that others, so that you and me might find life. Jonah's hate-filled reality is turning into such a sad and pathetic end. He just wants to die. And yet with Jesus, what we find is the promise of life, of hope, of joy, of peace. Things that we do not see at all in Jonah. And so with all of this resentment in Jonah, I just love this picture that we get of God. And it just, it just continues. In verse 4, God continues to patiently pursue Jonah. And he says, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? So I want to make a segue here into our gospel application point. What we see in God as he asks this question of Jonah is God is exuding a gentle strength. A gentle strength. Jonah is enraged. He is throwing crazy accusations against God. He's being irrational. And what we find in God is humility. He takes it. He is absorbing the scorn of Jonah. Absorbing the scorn of Jonah. This aspect of God, how he absorbs scorn, how he absorbs hate, has increasingly astounded me as I have had children and had continually more children and encountered their deliberate sin against me. This picture of Jesus hanging on a cross knowing what he's doing right there is he is absorbing my hatred, my sin. He's taking that upon himself. That's what God is doing right here with Jonah. I mean, I mean he could just get rid of him, smote him. Be like, he could spit on him and then he just like disappears, right? But instead, he asks a probing question which we're not going to get into this this morning, but Jonah doesn't answer that question. He ignores the question. God's going to ask the question a second time. We'll get into that next week. But Jonah's, or God's going to come back and he's going to ask this unanswered question again. So there's this reality about God, and, and some of us maybe have had this in, in some of our formation or our experience growing up. Um, Maybe we got this picture of God as kind of this really angry individual who, who would just kind of lash out at any time. Like, like you do something wrong and God's coming after you. And there's this reality that God hates sin. God hates sin. And he's going to judge sin. And that's going to happen. But we have to have tension here with this reality that we find with Jonah describing. And, and this is just who God is. He is a gracious and merciful 
God. And, and so when we read these things about who God is, it pushes us to wrestle with our conception of God as he's revealed himself to us. D do you see God as one who exudes gentle strength? There's this reality. We don't need to be scared of God. We all have hard questions. As a church, we want to be a place where you can ask any question. You don't need to be scared to ask your questions. And our confidence comes from the fact that we look at God. Like, he, he can handle any of our questions. He's not scared of our questions. He's not just going to have someone like Jonah just go off and he's not going to be able to handle that. God can handle us. He can handle us in the midst of our wide-ranging emotions. God knows our thoughts. He knows the bitterness that resides in our hearts. He knows the fears that we have. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. Let God draw you out. You don't need to be scared of voicing some doubt that you have within, that you've always had. Be real. Because God is gentle, and he is strong, and he wants to build you into a mountain of faith. He wants you to have this robust strength within you that comes from believing the gospel. So God exudes gentle strength, okay? Secondly, we're all a bunch of hypocrites, just like Jonah. Th that's just who we are. As you read about Jonah here, do you see yourself in this depiction of Jonah? You should. I'm not saying that to beat you up. This is just who we are. You and I have created rules in our minds that we are willing to break and easily overlook, but not be so gracious to others when they break those rules. This, it just happens all the time. I'll give you one quick example in my house, okay? So I hear my kids, like, bickering or speaking really mean to one another, okay? Not being kind at all, yelling at one another, cutting each other down, and I'll be like, stop talking that way! Right there. Where'd they learn that? Right here, right? So in me trying to correct their, the way in which they're talking with one another and address the heart behind that, I, I'm teaching them to do the same thing. I, I am the hypocrite. It is good for us to talk with one another as to how we are hypocrites, how we want good for ourselves but disdain others experiencing that same good. We have how we have this natural tendency to find fault in others or in God but to give ourselves a pass when we do the same thing. Our sturdiness to talk about our own hypocrisy comes from the fact that God is gracious and he is merciful, that he is slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love. We have this tendency to think that if we expose the messy parts of our hearts, that other people might not like us or, or will think ill of us. And that might happen. 
But this is why we call ourselves to gospel-centeredness, that more than anything else that we would care what God thinks about us. Our sturdiness to reveal our hypocrisy comes from the fact that God accepts us, not because we're not hypocrites, but even in the midst of our hypocrisy, he accepts us, he dies for us. So out of that sturdiness, that reality, we then can expose the hypocrisy in our hearts and through that hopefully can begin to grow out of that hypocrisy. So revel in the fact of who God is. This is who he is. He is gracious and merciful. He is relenting from disaster and revel in others experiencing that depiction of God as well. Help others encounter that reality of who God is. All right, lastly, God's revelation of himself will humble us and it will encourage us. So I see Jonah wishing for death in these verses and I'm pushed to consider the impact of God's revelation in my own life. When God shows himself to humanity, what we see is greatness. Greatness in the power that he possesses, in the love that he extends, in the justice that he, he mates out, in the humility that's found in him. God is great in every way. He's remarkable. And in this, when we see him for who he really is, he's going to confront our pride. Because the tendency for me is to think, I'm pretty special. That I'm, I'm glorious in some way. But the glory of God confronts our pride. Okay? It is intended to bring us low. But here's the thing. God stands over us in glory to bring us low. But that's not all he does. He comes under us. He serves us. He provides for us. He sacrifices. He cares for us. He lays down his life for us. Jesus gave his life, and in so doing, he gives us life. Because of who he is and what he's done, we should never feel unloved. Never. We should never feel unloved if we are rooted, if our identity is rooted in him. So th then we have to wrestle with this question. Does our life give life to others? Do others experience or encounter joy through you? Like, like are you generally a happy person? And I'm not saying you have to be bubbly and bouncing off the walls, right? Handing out lollipops and, and giggling all the time. I'm, I'm not saying that. But, but is there this strong joy that sticks with you in the midst of all of life? Are others going to encounter joy through you, even in the midst of your trials and when you're suffering? Is the hope of the gospel evident through us? Or, or are we Debbie Downers? Are we just kind of up and down with whatever the circumstances are in our life? If we believe the gospel and the call for all of us, the primary call for all of us as we walk out of here today is to believe the gospel, nothing else. 
if we believe the gospel, we will see God for who he is. And we will be marked by a robust hope and joy. Even when other people do things that make us want to be angry at them, we can still be people who are solid in hope, who are exuding joy because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for these reminders. In this book that's thousands of years old, we can look at the life of Jonah and it is a mirror to us. It needs to be a mirror to us. God, help it to be that. As we sing these songs, as we reflect on how we are like Jonah, how we are hypocrites, would you help us to be humbled by that reality, but also encouraged, massively encouraged, by the fact that you love us all the way to death. And that is a love that is not earned, it's received. And so it is not a love that can be shaken. It is not a love that can change. So help us to have this conception of who you are, God. Would you change our hearts? Would you transform us by the power of the gospel? Today, throughout this week, so that we would be a people, we would be a church that exudes hope and joy, that, that others would be drawn to you because of our lives. We would be people who pursue others because we see their need for hope or joy because we yearn for them to have what only you can give. God, change our hearts. Profoundly transform us for the glory of your name and the joy of your people. Amen. I'm going to invite you guys to stand. We're going to sing a number of songs of response. During this time, I want to invite you guys also to take an opportunity uh, to observe the Lord's Supper. So there's this reality that, that God loves us to death. And, and so God gave us this reminder so that we could remind ourselves, this is how much Jesus loves you, to the point of shedding his blood, letting his body being beaten for the forgiveness of your sins. So if you're a Christian, if you've received Jesus' forgiveness of sins, we want to invite you guys. There's a table in the back, and you can observe the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, if you've not received Jesus' forgiveness, then we want to be clear. This is not for you, but Jesus is for you. And we as Center Church are for you. And we want to invite you to trust Jesus for life and hope and joy, most importantly, for forgiveness of sins. Let's sing together.
those of us who are Christians, that's a call this week, that Jesus would be our lives, that we would not look to anything or anyone else. If you are not a Christian, that's the invitation, that Jesus would be your life, that he would be everything that you are looking for. If anyone would want to, wants to talk or pray afterwards, I would love to do that. Uh, a couple of quick announcements uh, before we go today. First of all, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times over the last couple of months that we're moving in the direction of membership. That is going to start ramping up here more significantly. And so if that is something that you guys are interested in, would you just let myself or Michael know just so that we can be aware of it? Because uh, to go through that, there's a process uh, that we're, we'll walk you guys through. And so would you just kind of give us a heads up uh, that you're interested in that? Uh, if you're more just like, I don't know if I am or not, uh, would like more information, we're also going to be, as part of the membership process, uh, we're going to do kind of an intro class for Center Church. Um, that This is something that we've been working on for a, a number of months, and so uh, that would be a good place to start if that's something that you're interested in. And we'll be uh, broadcasting more info information about when that's going to be happening and what opportunities there are for that. And so just keep your ears open for that. Secondly, uh, this is something that has not been mentioned publicly yet either, uh, but w we have been offered the opportunity to be part of the parade in Fridley here. Um, and there's a lot of things that churches can do wrong with parades. Uh, if we're going to do this, uh, we would want to do it right. And the only way that we can do it right is if there is some significant buy-in um, from the whole of the church. And so I want to lay that before you guys. The parade happens on a Thursday night, June 13th. So it's less than a month away. Uh, if that is something that you would be interested in being involved in, whether it's helping like do something with a float or just walking with us uh, the night of, uh, would you communicate that? Because we, we've got to get kind of a tally and an understanding of what we're dealing with. And, and if we don't have significant buy-in, then uh, I'm not going to walk with, with my kids, and it's going to be that church that, that has the pastor and his kids. So that's not going down, okay? So um, if you guys would just let, uh, you can send an email to info at Center Church and, uh, and let us know that way, that would be great. Uh, for those of you who are Center Church, we want to invite you guys to join us in our communal teardown. Uh, otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you later.